I'm Samantha Bove, and this is She's Too Much. This show is for the woman who's been told that she dreams too much, talks too much, cares too much, thinks too much, feels too much, needs too much. And I say it's about damn time that we are even more. Because that thing you think makes you too much is the exact thing the world needs more of. If you've always felt like you're just a little bit more sensitive than the people around you, maybe since the time you were a little kid, you remember being able to really feel other people's energy. Maybe you were communicating with trees or had your own secret language with animals. And now as an adult, you're feeling like you're extremely empathetic, like other people's energies and mood really affect you. And also that you feel deeply intuitive, but sometimes you have a hard time trusting that sense, that felt sense, that knowing that maybe you're made for more or maybe there is a part of your soul and part of your gifts that you're just scratching the surface of. If any of that resonates with you, you're going to love this podcast episode with Stephanie Banks. She is my personal mentor and she is an intuitive channel. And don't worry, we're going to explain what it means to be an intuitive channel to connect with the language of someone's soul, whether they're on this planet, whether it's connecting to your highest self or it's connecting to a loved one. And Stephanie has personally helped me be able to do just that. She has channeled my father for me where I've received deep healing and very specific personal messages. And she's been able to teach me how to connect to my own soul to be able to make really big decisions in my life that have led me exactly right here talking on this podcast with you. Stephanie is a TEDx speaker. She's a best-selling author and a deeply gifted intuitive channel who has worked with thousands of people across the world, delivering them life-changing messages every single day. So sit back and enjoy this podcast episode because if you really do listen with an open heart and a curious mind, you will walk away more connected to yourself and to your power. Enjoy. I am like so happy you're the first person because when I think about the podcast and I think about like what actually led me to launch the podcast, you were such a pivotal part of that because of the program that I was in and because of all the work I've done around my intuition and because of the channeling that you've done with my dad and with my ex and with my highest self. And I really don't think that this podcast would even be in existence if it wasn't for meeting you. So I just think it's the most amazing thing ever that you're the first guest. And like, I just really have such a respect and love for you. And I think that your story and your expertise is is beyond life-changing thank you i receive that with a full heart and it's such an honor to be walking this journey with you and to be part of your incredible expansion and just watch the light that is beaming in all directions from you so thank you thanks for giving me the the honor of being here and also witnessing you in your growth thank you 
Okay, so before anything, I really just want to start with like, how would you describe yourself to someone who doesn't know you, who hasn't worked with you and been flabbergasted by what you can channel and into it? I I prefer to describe myself as an earth lover and tree hugger. So I don't go right to the intuitive part. I usually feel out the situation and the person first because I can tell if someone's going to be open to that world or if they're not. And also, if I start with earth lover and tree hugger, that's an instantaneous way to figure out if the person is part of my tribe or not. Believe it or not, some people are put off by tree huggers. (laughs) And those are not my people. So I start with that because... As humans, you know, we actually, I believe, are here to appreciate life and be part of this beautiful tapestry of all living beings. And that's where I connect so beautifully every day is with the living world. And that goes so far beyond what humans and our human experience is. It's There's life all around us. So that's where I center myself. And I also channel. And uh, we all channel, I believe. So that's not something that is unique to me. What's unique to me is the way that I do it and the personality and flair and humor that I bring to it. So what is channeling? Channeling for my definition is just connecting to divine energy and wisdom. And that is not something that I believe exists outside of us. I believe that is within each and every one of us. So the trick to channeling well and to channeling from a very clear, high vibrational place is to trust yourself, basically. And that's a process. That's a life. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a lot of questions around how people can develop their intuition. You've helped me, oh my goodness, so much. Really at the core, just learn to trust myself and believe that everything that I was feeling was essentially not only valid, but like, really a clue to where I could have been out of alignment or where I can find more joy in my life. And you do it through such a way that is so fun and so playful and so silly and so just not dogmatic. So we're going to get into that later. But before we do, I really want to hear about your upbringing. If you could take me back to your childhood, what were you like as a little kid? Were any of these gifts present for you at that time? Where did you grow up? Tell me a little bit about the childhood, Stephanie. Sure. I probably had a pretty typical childhood in terms of nothing extraordinary um, occurring for me. I didn't have any sort of awakening in my childhood that led me to channeling. I always felt deeply connected to the living world, to animals and to plants. I thought everybody talked to trees. I had long conversations with trees as I would wait for my carpool to pick me up to to go to school. And so there was that part of it. I was friends with every outdoor neighborhood cat, you know, that we, that I came across, convinced that I had to feed all of them, even when they were quite well fed. So that was part of my essence. I was always highly sensitive. I grew up with a mother who had, who struggled with mental illness. So I really do attribute a lot of my sensitivities as a gift. And that's something I was able to hone in living with someone who struggled in that way. So I became very, very attuned to the energy around me so that I could 
predict what any situation would call for and I could be prepared for that so that I could stay ahead of changing moods, et cetera, and be safe, feel as safe as I possibly could. So um, my relationship with my mom was complicated, but really, really moved me into this channeling space because as you know, with my story, in her 50s, she was diagnosed with dementia. And I had to figure out a totally new way to be connected to her that transcended typical verbal communication since her abilities in that realm were breaking apart. And so in the process of finding a new way to interact and communicate with her, I learned to connect to her soul and I learned to connect through the heart. And it really moved us into a place of such beautiful relational trusting love that I was able to support her through the end of her life. And now she's a regular guest in my home from the spirit side of things. Hmm. So your mom's name is Joni. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you more about that, about the TED Talk, where you talked about her journey. I'm curious, just saying childhood for a minute is, well, one, like what a relief that could be to people who are so stuck in the blame of growing up with parents who maybe weren't the most magnetic or ideal perfect parents because who who's are to release that blame and really claim that the less than ideal situation that you were living in actually attributed so much to the work that you do now and to like really just the power of how tuned in you can be so I just think that that could be really healing for so many people. And I'm also curious, did your sensitivity get nurtured at all by the people around you? Like were people, your friends or family, were they encouraging of your sensitivity or did you really have to fight to not shut that part of you down? Mm -hmm. I didn't reveal that part of myself, probably because it was that I didn't feel so safe to do so. I can't say that there was anybody that would have knocked me down if I had, but just being attuned to the energy and the situation, it didn't feel like that was something I could share during my younger years or even something that necessarily I had enough awareness around to be able to articulate. So no, it wasn't those, those types of sensitivities were not something that I spoke of or necessarily felt support around from humans. However, from a very young age, I always knew I am not alone. And it wasn't a creepy feeling. It was a lovely feeling. I, I would feel this joyful presence around me. I would know that when I laughed at something, there were others. I didn't know who they were, but they were laughing too. And we were having a lot of fun. So I never felt like, uh, I mean, I had lonely times and times where I felt misunderstood for sure, like all of us do. But, but there was an etheric presence that I couldn't put my finger on and I didn't need to, that I just knew there's other, there are those around me who are watching me and they're taking joy in my life and in my journey and they're supporting me. Mm. So when I did one of your intuitive development programs, it was really the first time that I realized that all of my imaginary friends that I had for years when I were little uh, were real. And I can say that now without shame or without being like, she's crazy because they were real. Like I saw them, I had the same imaginary friend who was a mouse, kind of looked like Stuart Little 
for like five years. Like it was like embedded into my family system, like had like a place at the dinner table. I can picture him and his whole family like very clearly. And my imagination was so big. And looking back at that and realizing like, oh, to whatever extent it was real for me, it's meaningful in some way. Because like while I may not have those same influences now, but you've also definitely helped me identify different spirit guides that I do have that I can kind of put a a feeling, almost even a little bit of a face or an energy or a picture to, it does make me feel like, oh, I have had this connection forever in some way. And I think most people, if they really think about it, had a special tree or a special animal or a special connection that like that doesn't go away. We can still have that now. Yes. And I love hearing you share about that too, because I can be there with the little mouse at the dinner table and really feel the beauty and the joy of it. I used to, growing up, I lived in South Florida. And so there was a swimming pool in our backyard as with many homes here. And um, so I'd be swimming by myself and say like a lizard would fall into the water. And of course I would rescue it and lift it out. And we would have this whole conversation where I would reassure it while I'm trying to get it from the water so it doesn't drown. And then I would just sense communication from it. And then I would say something like, I'll see you later, like maybe a lot, lot, lot later, like maybe when I'm no longer in this form. But I know you appreciate this gesture of mine. And at some point, I trust that we will be together again to celebrate and honor this. It was this whole thing that I was eight. Wow. And that's what I really believe. I believe we are we have that kind of connection to all life. So I'm going to really, hold on to that. I really do too. So, okay, take me a little bit further. So pretty normal. You went to school for speech pathology. So how did you end up there? And then just bring me to that time period of life. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian until organic chemistry became a reality. (laughs) So I just happened to be chatting with someone in a class who mentioned she had switched to speech pathology. And I thought, well, that's, that sounds good. It it didn't feel like, um, it didn't feel insurmountable. It required a master's degree, which I was totally game to do. I loved the idea of going to graduate school and I like to talk. So it really seemed to (laughs) to fit what I was looking for at that, what, 18, 19-year-old self. And I have loved that career. I no longer do it. I happily walked away from it. But all the years, all the 21 years that I have served in that capacity have been phenomenal. I've worked in hospitals and schools and nursing homes and rehab facilities and with newborn babies who need support for feeding help. So that's been tremendous. And then somewhere along the way, I met a best friend who was a physical therapist. And in the realm of speech therapy, there is a affinity that we have for occupational therapists and physical therapists. We work as teams. So this person and I were very drawn to each other and developed this beautiful friendship. And she happened to be a channel. She channeled for people professionally and she shared that work with me. And I thought, I felt such a deep resonance with it that I wanted to expand her reach so we could bring more healing because I saw what these messages were doing for the people she was channeling for. So I started to create circles of women 
where she would be the channel and I would be like the logistics timekeeper and keeping things organized and scheduling us, et cetera. And then as I sat in circle with her and I listened to the messages, I started to hear also messages coming through me. And the first thing I did was doubt that and discount that and saying this it's just that I want this so much. That's why this, you know, this is coming through. I must be making this up. But it was persistent enough that I decided, let me go ahead and get some formal training and see if this is really a thing. So I did. I got trained by Sonia Choquette. She's a world-renowned psychic medium. I went to all of the courses she was offering back then and realized, yeah, I I can do this. I mean, I needed the affirmation from her to trust myself more. But when I received that, I really opened up to it. And here I am doing this exclusively full time. Mm. The affirmation from her, do you think that the affirmation is important? And how does that show up in your students' life? Like, yes, from you, you are so affirming and so encouraging. But how is that showing up in your own life as well? Like, was there experiences that you had in your personal life with messages you were getting? with clients that you were seeing, like what were some of those first few moments you were like, oh, I'm actually not making this up. This is pretty wild. And what was that like? It's incredible. It's incredible. And I just said out loud to myself today, on a daily basis, there are clients who are telling me, you changed my life with this message. This transmission made the, it's a complete game changer. Every single day, I get something to that nature, multiple messages sometimes. And I want to point out that I still do sometimes doubt myself. I'm still in this human experience. I still have a left hemisphere, still have an egoic voice. So the affirmation that you're asking about, for me, it's somewhat essential. It's not essential to my commitment to this work. I am fully committed to this work, whether or not I feel that internal affirmation in any given moment. And there are cycles that I have that have to do with all sorts of things, how much sleep I've gotten, what my self-care is like, any type of hormonal changes, those all affect the internal landscape. And the internal landscape is where we get our inner affirmation. So some days it's amazing and some days it's scant, I will say. (laughs) But we need it, I believe. And that's why when I teach, I do so through a lot of affirmation. It's not false. I never say, I never blow smoke or tell someone they're good at something that I perceive as a problem. I'm honest, but we do need to be more affirming of each other and of ourselves because we really are amazing souls and we're phenomenal beings and we don't often hear that enough. I completely agree. The amount of times that people tell me like, wow, that was the most genuine or most thoughtful reflection or compliment I've ever gotten. I've probably gotten that maybe like half a dozen times in the last two months. And I'm like, wow, like people are really not being affirmed or seen in the way that I think we need to hear sometimes. And I do think that that external affirmation is important. And I think what you do so great is you put people in the situations to practice to get that external and internal affirmation. And those moments of affirmation really do change everything. Like I remember in um, the program that I was in with you, I we were doing channeling and I got partnered up with someone and one of the um, the 
biggest, like clearest visuals I was getting was the woman in a rose garden when she was like seven years old. And she was like, just, just like running, like so carefree, not worried, not like looking back to see if her parents were watching, just kind of wild in her rose garden. And I was nervous to say it because I'm like, well, what if she didn't have a rose garden? You know, I think she grew up in, I think it was Russia. I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. And so I'm so nervous, but then I'm like, well, maybe she does like roses or whatever. I'm doing this whole thing in my mind before I share it. Well, she grew up with like a very lush rose garden that she like would run through and it was her safe place. And then she's crying and I'm like, holy hell, like, I didn't follow this woman on social media. I never talked to her before in my life. Like it was really just totally life-changing and affirming. And so, you know, if somebody isn't in that situation where they are practicing channeling and picking up on someone's energy or memories or experiences, how can we start to develop that internal self-trust in our abilities to connect to our highest self or loved ones maybe let's just start with high self and then we can also go into connecting with people maybe who are no longer here well i sort of feel that self-trust comes through practice and when practice happens through living so we have the opportunity to develop our self-trust every single day just by showing up and the things that we feel drawn to are the things that are i believe our soul is calling us forward to, whether it's to be in service of, to receive, to connect, wherever the drive is there. So to build confidence and self-trust requires us to be vulnerable. And that's something that's very hard for this culture because we're taught that that vulnerability is somehow a weakness when actually it's our greatest strength. And vulnerability is a place that we can with integrity and honesty, connect with others and really share on a very deep level. So the path to to trusting what you receive from your own soul or from your guidance system, your spirit guides, your angels, your ancestors and loved ones on the other side is to be willing to receive it, to not categorize it as right or wrong, because that is a trap of the mind and that will take you out of any possibility of there being value there, especially because the mind is going to be more inclined to categorize it as not true if you do not have a five sensory way to validate it. And with channeling, it's the sixth sensory experience. So there is that sometimes there's validation, like what you just described you had with the woman you were giving the message to. She could affirm, yes, that was a very literal experience in her childhood. But we we can't rely on that. That's not the only way for to validate what we're getting. If she never stepped foot in a rose garden, I trust that there is still reason why you saw that image. And if it was for nothing more than to bring peace to her, because roses, right? That's all we need to say. They're beautiful and they smell amazing and everybody wants to get close and put their nose in one. That's It's coming through for a reason. And so we have certain things that we tell ourselves and it can, it can either be affirming or it can be negating. 
And the negative mind is primed to look for things to keep us safe so that a lot will fall into that negative category. But if we retrain our self-talk to be, I don't know if this is true for this person, but this is what I'm present to right now. This is what I'm sensing right now. And so that's enough. And so I'm going to share that. And it's up to them if it resonates or not. This is a totally different way to come about sharing what comes through us and what's meant to be given, you know, and shared with others. So I think one thing that I see in you, so just as one of like your highlighting qualities is not attachment Mm -hmm. and trust. So how do you discern, first of all, what to share and what not to share? Do you have a process while you're channeling Because when you are speaking, it's like you're directly tapped into the source of that entity that is blowing through you. So are is Stephanie in there discerning like maybe they don't need to hear this or maybe this isn't a a message I should communicate? And then how do you also detach from whether or not that's going to mean something or impact them in a certain way? Yeah, it's good questions. Luckily, I have guides that do that work for me in my channeling sessions. And this too is a work of devotion to establish connection and communication with my guides, to trust what they are sending me, what I'm receiving, what I'm understanding, to acknowledge when I don't understand all of it and ask for it in a different way. Your guides want to bring you information and insight that you can understand. If it's brought in a way that you can't understand, ask for it in a different way. They are happy to reframe, to redeliver, to, you know, to retry. They want you to get this. So I made an agreement with my channeling guides that if I were to do this work on a professional level where I have a lot less control over who comes to me because I won't know them ahead of time, they won't be a family member or friend that I automatically trust, that I needed a system in place that was in support of me, but not just reliant on me to do that weeding out process. And and my guides time and again handle that. And I, I have data to this. I can count on three fingers in the thousands of sessions I've done, three clients that were not an ideal fit energetically. And each time it was because I overrode what I knew to be true. I I forced myself to show up in service even when I didn't feel that it was in the highest good to do so. So that's not on them, that's on me. They gave me all the information that I needed. And sometimes we do that, we override. That's how we learn, it's called making a mistake. (laughs) That's how we learn. So um, what was the second part of your question? Yeah, so detaching from Oh, well, just so it sounds like your guides are helping you discern what information to share. So I have gone into this work and I do Reiki and a lot of messages will come through as I'm as I'm doing Reiki. And I, in complete honesty, to try to figure out if I was just completely making things up in the beginning, I think I overshared and wasn't really relying on my spiritual support system to discern for me. And I think what I was doing there was kind of fishing for affirmation. 
of is what I'm getting real. And what I've noticed with that is when you're in a spiritual container with someone, whether you're reading cards or even as a coach, doing Reiki, practicing being a channel, whatever it is, the person on the other end of that takes it so seriously. I mean, I I feel the same way. I now believe so much in my free will that I don't take anything too seriously because I know that I'm in control of my destiny and what decisions I make. But for a lot of people, what you share is going to impact them in a huge way. And I remember feeling like a little bit overwhelmed by that and almost like it could be a burden because I didn't want to put any anything in someone's head that could possibly impact their decision making in any way. And so I guess my question is, have you experienced that concern and how do you deal with that? Yes. Good. So what I was addressing earlier is how my guides weed out the right people for me to serve. Okay. In terms of the information that comes through, same. I also, they are part of that as well. But instead of weeding out information, I get insight into what parts are for now to share and what parts are just for me to know so that I can have a more comprehensive understanding of the situation. That takes thousands of hours of practice. <laughs> so it's it's worth it's worth the investment of time to do that and to practice that because you're absolutely right. I am keenly aware that at any time I can say something that will change somebody's decision. That is a very weighty thing to hold. I take that very very seriously. I am clear in my work that I'm not going to be guiding someone into in any direction, really. I am simply bringing them back home to their inner knowing, and whatever comes through is designed to that end. So there isn't anything ever that I will be saying where this is good, but don't do that. It's more so helping them to bringing forward what their guidance has to say and helping them to attune to how each one feels. I always bring people back to their bodies because your body is this incredibly wise vessel that is signaling you all the time. And we know what's right for us based on how the body responds. If there's warmth and we desire to lean in, that's a yes. If there's constriction and tightness and pulling back, that's obviously not for you, at least for that time. But many of us are not attuned to that because, again, cultural and societal and sometimes familial conditioning can help us disengage from our bodies or mistrust the wisdom of our bodies. So then all we have left is the mind, and that's a scary neighborhood. Okay. There's so much here. So do you ever get messages from guides that say, leave the husband, and then you don't communicate that? <laughs> So how can I explain this? What I will get is a knowing about where that relationship is likely to end up. Okay. And oftentimes that is not for me to share because that will interfere with somebody's free will or it will influence that. And that is not my role. 
So yes, there are plenty of times where I am channeling for, because a lot of the work I do is in the realm of relationships. I bet. Well, you work with couples, you know, at the same time, we want to attune to each other's souls, et cetera, or privately when they need that privacy. And I will, I will have a knowing. And sometimes after the knowing, I will still send a prayer out there and say, oh, but I really like this couple together. I hope they... They can work this out, but it's a knowing, you know, and eventually it usually proves accurate that that's what was chosen. But I don't know what the timing is, the right timing for an individual or for a couple or for a relationship. And I trust that there is great purpose and meaning to everything that's playing out. Yeah, I would say that this is a huge red flag. And I'm curious if you agree with with healers or channels or people who consider themselves mediums if they are telling you what to do other than guiding you back to the wisdom of your own heart and of your own body because I just yeah I don't believe that anyone should be telling anyone that they should be doing anything. I totally agree. I absolutely agree and I've had a lot of clients who have had what I would consider to be trauma as a result of having give, being given feedback that they trusted and believed in more so than themselves. And then it's, it's you know, that's, that's not my role. I don't think that's the role of working even in the spirit realm. So it is upsetting to me when I hear that. I, I understand. And again, Perhaps this is part of that person, the important part of their journey, so they can trust themselves more. But we're always meant to trust ourselves over anyone or anything else. So we're in different places with that, and it is a process. But don't give your power over to anyone, and please don't make a decision based on what someone tells you to do. Check in with all that you have available within and that which surrounds you in terms of energetic support and and then choose what feels right for you for that moment. Yeah. What I will say too is in the readings that we've had in particular about a year ago, I was debating whether or not I wanted to live separately from my partner and I was calling on my dad for some guidance around that. And every day I would just say to my sister, I'm so confused. And this was for over a year. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I feel so confused. And one of the first things that you said to me was channeling my dad, I hate to see you so confused. And that I needed my own space, which I wasn't saying, I didn't think I asked you. No, I, I, recent, I listened to it recently. I didn't ask, like, should I move out or not? It was just like, tell me about my relationship right now. And he was emphasizing the importance of being in my own space and blessing my space with my own energy. And I really did need that space to not be so confused. And so, yeah, every time it has been such a guidance back to myself. And we've also um, channeled my then partner who is on this planet. And that really blew my mind because channeling his soul affirmed everything that I thought was going on that I didn't really want to look at. And I'm curious about how comfortable you feel essentially tapping into somebody's energetic field because it was so accurate what was going on. 
And do you ask for permission? Like if people want to start doing this with their partners, with their children who are on this planet, how do you go about that? Mm. So if if you are just playing around with it, always ask, well, no matter what, always ask permission. This is kind of, it's... um. The way that I work is not intrusive in that I'm not reordering anybody's thoughts or feelings or energy bodies, anything of that nature. I'm simply reading and reporting on what is there or what's coming through. So in terms of permission, the way I work, I know instantaneously if a soul is coming forward and that is their permission for me to do the reading. And then I also know when I tune in, if that soul is like, no thanks, but they send a representative. <laughs> I will have a guide, a spirit guide on behalf of that soul who will provide the information we need for that client's clarity, even if that particular soul does not wish to be in communication at that time. So there's there's always access. There's always way because we're going to love. That's the important thing to remember. We're only going to the highest vibrational loving frequency in the way that I'm channeling and the way that I teach channeling. So there's there's no risk really to a soul being open in that way. However, they certainly can decide whether they're in or out. And a, a small handful of times I have had souls that haven't been wanting to communicate. We still get what we need. If you are, I don't recommend that you, anyone, run off and start to channel their loved ones. <laughs> You're not neutral. Okay. You're not neutral with yourself. You're not neutral with your loved ones. You're not neutral in your relationships. So what might feel like clarity for you, or yeah, I really feel this strongly. So it might must be true. You do not know what influence your ego is playing in that way. Uh, we have attachments. All of us do. I have attachments too. So uh, until you have lots and lots of practice and know how to sort through and like you were saying earlier, come to a place of as close to neutral mind as you can possibly achieve, then 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 don't <laughs> don't don't go around channeling others uh, in that way. Attune through the heart, yes, have that heart-centered communication, which also can be called channeling. But I'm when I'm referring to don't do it for others, I mean don't some people will go and report and say, you know, your your energy's really off today. I don't know what it is, but I just tuned into your guide and something's just not right. That's really not helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always think if I'm attached to an outcome, I can't be tuning in right now. It's right. just not it's gonna be completely truly fictitious. So with the guides. How can people, I feel very fortunate in the sense that I have like the best, biggest guide, which is my dad, and he communicates with me and I feel very connected to him. How do you recommend for people to start connecting to their guides, whether it be a past loved one or maybe an ancestor or like we figured out I have this very funny like little trickster gnome kind of guide that will like come in and just, just kind of like F things up in a very silly way to make me not take everything so seriously. So how would you recommend starting to establish those connections with with the, your spiritual support system? Yeah. Well, it has to start with you having attention on your inner landscape. You have to create clarity and as high vibration as you can for yourself. So that self-care, 
that's meditation, that's movement and exercise, that's music and mantra. That's all the things that we know, we know, we have seen, we've heard it repeatedly is necessary in order for our body, mind, and spirit, soul to be coherent, connected in, you know, in alignment. So you have to do that. You have to practice that. There is no way to come at this with any type of clarity if your self-care stinks. And if you see yourself in a highly critical way and your and your self-compassion is low, that you you've got to work on that. That I'm always in the process of working on that. And it requires a team, right? So therapists and coaches and mentors and everybody in, you know, human form as well as your guidance system in non-form. And when it comes to making specific connections with, say, your spirit guides, I bring people to meditation to do that because that tends to be when we are still and when we are open and receptive. That's when we can be reached. The other prime time for us is when we're sleeping. But oftentimes we don't remember what came through in our dreams or what we were present to. So it can feel like nothing happened, but stuff is happening because you're in the perfect captive audience to be worked with, to be worked on, to be supported and loved. So you can, there's so many ways to do this. I teach work with a pendulum oftentimes, and we can learn how to spell out the name of a guide or an ancestor that's here with you. And then you can tune into them specifically and bring them into your meditations and ask certain questions. There's automatic writing prompts that you can use. Uh, writing is another form of channeling, and it's a very powerful, wonderful clear form. So if you just let yourself write, you will be likely astonished by what comes through if you don't play the editor and you don't get in your own way. And then again, coming back to what makes you feel loved and held and safe and healthy and go and do that as often as you can, because that is your point of attraction. Most people know that phrase um, and that's how you're going to be in the energetic exchange with the higher vibrations because with channeling you definitely want to be in the higher vibrations rather than the noise and the lower frequencies okay beautiful so many good things there so the podcast is called she's too much because i'm a lot and i think that most women are just the most magnetic when they're the most themselves i think everyone is even if i'm not really the most say attracted to somebody's personality or energy field if they're being themselves i'm like hell yeah like let's go this is great you're showing up as you and so something that really stuck out to me about your story which i've mentioned to you before is that your husband at the time didn't actually believe in the work that you were doing when you started to do this work although you were getting dozens if not hundreds of people who were affirming your work on a daily basis and when you said that to me there was a part in my body that just resonated so much and just made me took me back to all the moments that I wasn't believed in and wasn't supported and at this stage of my life I'm not only looking for you know the partners and the relationships of people who who see me and who believe me but who like radically want to support and encourage me to to be more and so if you could just take me back to that time period and how you navigated that, I think could be really, really inspiring. And then, well, what I learned to do from lots of practice as a child with my mother was how to maintain harmony during times that it was that were challenging, that were difficult. 
And so it was really painful for me to be in the receiving and acknowledgement and excitement and joy of these channeling gifts. I'm now able to call them gifts. I used to not, I used to push that word away. Uh, one, I felt it separated me from other people because if it was a gift, then maybe it just I have it and I believe we all do. But I do have certain gifts and I do apply them beautifully to my channeling work. So when I was discovering these gifts to have a primary relationship, not believe in them, not just not believe that they were even a thing, that they, they, they didn't exist. So what would that mean about me then? Am I then am I really making this up? Is this just a figment of my imagination? Um, and yet all the affirmation from the people who were benefiting from it was was affirming. So what I did for a very long time, for years, was I maintained harmony. So I didn't get bigger than a certain amount. And whether that was number of clients or income or reach, I didn't feel safe and comfortable in the full expansion of what was possible for my work, for my business, for me. And so, and that did help to maintain harmony for a while because I knew that if things blew up, for example, that that would create a big rift, a bigger rift than what already existed. And then there comes a time, at least certain for me, where that just was not going to be satisfying anymore. It was just too painful to be in a relationship where there wasn't space for all of me and I wasn't celebrated for all of me because one of the things I'm really good at is celebrating all of everybody. <laughs> I love to do that. Um, and so to not be in that and receiving of that was uh, painful and disconnecting. And eventually it's it was a matter for me of um, choosing ultimately myself. And of course, a lot of things took place and there was a particular moment in time in which I knew that we were, you know, there wasn't going to be the investment to allow for the marriage to continue to be, to be healthy or to grow or to come back to a place of health. So there are details that I'm, you know, not expanding on right now, but ultimately I knew and I felt that if I didn't choose me, I was never going to ha let my kids see what a woman in her power can actually be. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> so professionally, you're a huge inspiration to me as well. I mean, you run programs, you have seen, it seems like you are always reading for clients, like every single day. You seem to have a full schedule. I mean, I know half a dozen people off the top of my head that see you, mentor with you, get readings from you, and you're so fulfilled and so energized by it. And that's very clear to me and was extremely inspiring because one of my biggest concerns was that this could drain me if I started to do this work. And of course, you have a TED Talk, which is for most people it, who is who are passionate about the work that they do, a book, a TED Talk, different things like that are like really like big accomplishments and there's a few things from the TED talk that have blown me away but I'm curious if you can just share the story about actually how you got on the stage and how much resistance you had and also how much synchronicity there was there in ease oh sure so the reason I so I never was contemplating doing a TEDx that was 
no, thank you. That did not sound like anything that uh, would have been comfortable for me. And and yet I actually have a second one that I'm going to be doing very soon. Yes. Another story for another time. But the way I came about this is I, I years ago, I interviewed to be part of like a women's camp thing. And I wanted to be a speaker there or like um, I wanted to share my channeling work at this event. And the woman who was interviewing me said, um, well, are the people who present here have either a TEDx or a book? And I had already published my book about my mom. But that TEDx thing sort of planted in there against my against my will. And I kept it kept resurfacing like maybe I could. What would it take to do a TED Talk? So I researched it. I found out lo and behold, there was one local to my <laughs> to where I live. So I contacted the curator and she said, Sure, send me what you're thinking about speaking on. And I was like, hmm what am I thinking about speaking? <laughs> so I started to send her all these ideas for very, very safe topics. Oh, I will, I'll talk about the importance of the handwritten letter. I will talk about mother-daughter relationships. I will talk about, and each time I would propose something to her, she would read it and say, yeah, no, we're not there yet. It's just like, I, I feel like I, I'm going to stick this out with you because I think you've got something, but it's not there yet. So eventually, after my fourth or fifth suggestion or draft, she said, tell me, what is it that you do professionally? And that's when I told her about my channeling work, which I was working very hard to keep out of the TED Talk because I thought, talk about vulnerability. There's no way I'm going to get on a stage and tell everybody about this work that the logical mind would, or, or science, although science has proven channeling, so it's on our side now. But in any case, she said, let me, I said, it's hard to explain to you what I do, but I can show you. So we did a session. And at the end of the session, she said to me, Stephanie, you must include this in your TED Talk. The world needs to know just how you are able to tap into on a soul level, these other beings, because for her, I channeled family members and whatever it was that she needed. And the clarity was in such a way that it really resonated with her. So begrudgingly and with a lot of fear, I wrote and edited and rewrote with her how this TEDx that I delivered some years ago. And I was able to share the journey, how my mother's, my relationship with my mother impacted me and allowed me to tap into my channeling skills and the steps that it took to get there and the ways that the universe really sent signs and signals and support for me to keep going with this. And that talk is actually now flagged by TED, which means that it has a little disclaimer that since I'm speaking of the paranormal, that it is not something that TED can, you know, necessarily, I forget the words, but it's a disclaimer. And what I, first I got a little frustrated about that because I worked really hard on that talk. <laughs> but then I thought, you know what, this is probably going to bring in even more viewers because I will definitely choose to see a flagged talk because I wouldn't know why is it flagged? What, what's so big about this? And it just turns out that because channeling then was not in the science and literature as much as it is now. It still has a long way to go, but there are books and scientific 
studies that have been done on this work that verify it and validate it. And there's an entire institute, the Institute of Noetic Sciences in California studies channeling. And so I have, I've read books and studies on it. So this is, it's a real thing for those who are a bit skeptical and it's okay to have your skepticism too, but that's how I came about the TED talk. And that's, and I just, I'm going to keep going. I have another one ready to go and I'm going to be finding a stage in the next few months to deliver that. Oh my goodness. Okay. That's really exciting. So I was going to ask you what's next. There's a moment in the TED talk. I just rewatched it probably for like the dozenth time this morning. And it's the part where you said you were driving in the car with your mom and she turned around and she said, why does everybody, it makes me emotional. Why does everyone keep saying you're my daughter? Why do they keep referring to you as that? And you obviously are holding back tears and said, well, what does our relationship feel like to you? And she said that it felt like you're her best friend. And I just wanted to go to that moment for a minute because it blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. It is a very pivotal and poignant moment. When you have a parent or loved one with dementia, it's something that you're always preparing for because the nature of the illness is that at some point in time, they're likely to not connect with you anymore because they won't know you. And I was really afraid for that moment and how it would reveal itself and and if it would, or maybe if she would pass before it got to that point. So when she said that in the car and I was driving, I was, I had this moment where my heart just raced and I stopped breathing and I thought, I only have this moment and my response means everything. And so I'm either going to choose to stay connected to my mom and try to understand her better, or I'm going to inform her of the fact that I am her daughter, which will likely be disconnecting and disorienting for her. If she's asking me why everybody is saying that, then she's not connecting with the fact that that's our relationship. And I am not going to push that on her because then I will lose that that connection to her. So it was probably my guides that whispered, ask her this, find out where she is, meet her and join her where she is. So to ask, to find out what does our relationship feel like to you? Ah, we can use this in so many arenas of our life. It's just about joining each other. What, What's important to you? What are you attuned to? What are you feeling and sensing right now? And then to learn that I'd gotten a promotion from, <laughs> from daughter to best friend. I will take it. Daughter is just rife with all the things, all the complications, all the fights, all the, you know, arguments, but best friend, no, I totally scored. <laughs> so it let us stay in this beautiful exchange. And then I, and then I affirmed her. I said, yeah, it is so nice to have such a close relationship, isn't it? And I didn't have to tell her anything that was frightening that would orient her to the loss of her memory and her capacity, you know, her capabilities. And I got to affirm that, yep, you got it, mom. We are really, really, really close. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you call it. We are really close. Mm. I'm so grateful that I had that sense with my dad because he went through lots of periods in the last 10 years. He was here 
of really not knowing who we were, what was going on. He had like a lot of body infections that would go to his brain like quite often. And very just intuitively, I knew that fighting him or saying that things didn't happen, it was just going to make us further apart. And if I had to play along and just connect to where he was, then at least I was with him. And I think that that is like really, truly life-changing advice. And it's just such another example of like non-attachment and how attached we can be to the roles that we play when you're even saying like sometimes daughter isn't the best role. Like (laughs) there's a lot of baggage there. And I can think of that like in partnerships too. Like when you don't feel that love or that reverence that you want to feel as a girlfriend or a wife or a boyfriend or whatever it is, a partner, well, then can you just meet them where they are and just hang out with them for a minute before like you probably will get back to those roles or maybe not because maybe they're actually not really working. doesn't really matter. It's about like being with somebody where they're at and like braving the wilderness with them to, to quote Brene Brown. So yeah, that was just so, so beautiful. Yeah, it's also a lot more fun to join someone else's reality for pieces of time. My mom had some really interesting perspectives during her dementia of different things. And yeah, I can go there with her. That that looks like a fun place to be and explore. Why not? And we would just have a great time and end up laughing because on some level we both knew we were we had entered into the realm of the ridiculous. And why not? Right? Why does everything have to be so sensical all the time? Well, there's a million more things I want to ask you, but in terms of time, I think maybe we can leave with one piece of advice that you have given me. I'm going to ask you one more question after this. <laughs> so two things. One is this piece of advice that at first, to be totally honest, I had like an extreme aversion towards. And I was like, this is dangerous. Like, how could she have just given this advice to a group of people? And my ego is like, this is not good for people. And turned out that it was like one of the best pieces of advice I could have received. And it was to make it up. And you're like, well, just make it up. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) They're like, well, what if you just pretended that it was true? If you kind of saw something or kind of thought something when you were connecting to a guide or, you know, reading someone informally, like, what if you just made it up? So can you tell me a little bit more about that and what you mean by that? Because it has been the gateway to me blowing my own mind (laughs) and connecting to entities and spirits that I never thought I could. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about that. (laughs) Oh, I love the way you set that one up. Thank you, Samantha. (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, we are making things up all the time. Everything we do, the roles we play, made up. We were taught, taught them by someone at some point. Guess what? Those were made up and they've just been passed down and we have agreed to go according to them. But somewhere, some way, someone made them up. And so we're, we're playing these things out all the time. It's all made up. What I am speaking to in the classes is that one of the things that gets in the way of us being able to receive is the logical mind coming in and saying, you're just making this up. You know, you just want this to look this way or you 
this is what you already think. That's why it's coming through in this way. You're making it up. And what I want to do is encourage everybody to meet that mind with, yep, I'm making it up because everything that has ever been created, and you can look around your home or your work, anywhere there's an object, has first been imagined before it came into form. Artists imagine things, musicians, this is all coming through our place of imagination. Our imagination is real. We do have a culture that says otherwise. That's faulty. It is real. It is where we are able to see what is possible and then act in service to that in order to manifest it. And we're manifesting it all the time. So it is through the place of imagination that I channel. If I did not engage my imagination, I would not be able to see the images that I see when I channel, to have the insights and awareness that I have. I see movies, I see colors, I see movement, I see um, faces, names, script, all sorts of things because I am willing to go into that place. That's the only place that my guides can show me stuff. Where else is it going to come from? It's certainly not coming from the logical side of things. So it's the intuitive side of things, the right brain, the creativity, the receptivity, the intuition, basically. That's all part of imagination. So that's why I say it. Also, once you give yourself permission to say, if I were to make this up, this is what I would say, or this is what I'm seeing, then you are open. You are now open. You can now receive. Your guides know that. It's like the the what's the word this the stamp of approval okay she's she's ready to go we can we can bring all the things because you're willing to go into that place of imagining I love that that's really going to help someone it really 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 did help me so much because once you can get through that initial like oh well <laughs> then you're in the land of play and of just experiencing and not being so attached to it making sense because it's not usually going to make sense, especially not in the moment. So many things that you've shared with me or that I've received didn't click for so long after. So now to wrap it up, I'm curious if anything comes to mind around the concept of too much and areas in your life where you're still looking to embrace a certain part of you, a certain dream, a certain experience, a certain feeling, a certain role that you still feel like is possibly too much and what that looks like for you and how you're approaching that. Well, recently, my guidance system told me that public speaking is my next focus. And again, Kind of like the, with the first TEDx talk, I that's not a, it didn't feel it doesn't feel great, right? It's it's the most vulnerable in my imagining that I can get because with, to do a session one on one or even with a group of twenty or twenty five people is one thing, but to get in front of big audiences and say things that are maybe not mainstream and are not widely accepted, totally totally different. But in to some extent, I am not the only one driving or steering this life. And I am happy to be guided by the love and support that is here. And so I do trust when I am nudged into a particular direction. So I've gotten a lot of excellent training in the public speaking realm in the last, in just this year, in fact. And that feels like something I would call too much to imagine myself on a stage 
in front of people I do not know, who I may never see again, but still it feels risky, and bringing ideas and experiences and personal vulnerability to the scene and to be seen and to have that experience of, of openness, that's that feels too much. And I'm still going to do it. Love it. I can't wait to hear it. Stephanie, I'm beyond beyond grateful. I like literally say a prayer of gratitude for you <laughs> often. And I'm so happy that this was the first episode. <laughs> I'm so excited. People are going to love it. Oh, me too, Samantha. You're amazing. You are such an exquisite soul. And it is just such a pleasure to walk the planet with you and to share in the beauty that's here for us. Thank you. Until next time, I definitely want you back if you'll if you'll join us again. Definitely. Yay. Okay, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks so much, Stephanie. You're welcome.